Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for coming. We will continue discussing Srila Jiva Goswami's Paramatma Sandarbha. We're up to the 56th Anucheda, his discussion of the nature of the Lord's Bahiranga Shakti as external energy continues here. Uh, the universe is a real product of Maya. Satkaryavada. So Anucheda 56. Jiva Goswami says there, In this way, in these two Sandarbhas, Bhagavat and Paramatma, the three energies have been explained, intrinsic, extrinsic, and intermediary. In order to dispel any confusion caused by the non-differentiation of the names used for these energies, we have compiled the following summary in verse. So he's written... Sanskrit verses, which we will read the English translations of, um, in order to clarify the way different words are used uh, in regards to the internal, the marginal, and the external potency. So his verses go as follows in English. The word Maya which is used primarily for the intrinsic potency, is also used for the extrinsic potency. In some places, it is also used for pradhan, as well as for its deluding aspect. The word prakriti is used for the first three, maya, the intrinsic potency, and the extrinsic potency. The word chit-shakti, however, is used specifically for the intrinsic potency. The words prakriti and chit-shakti are used for the, for the pure jiva also, as well as for the knowledge and prowess of Bhagavan. Vidya-shakti, the knowledge potency, is used for aspects of both the chit and maya-shaktis, i.e., both the intrinsic and extrinsic potencies. The word yoga maya is also used for the functions of both the chit and maya shaktis. The words pradhan, avyakrita, and avyakta are used only for prakriti consisting of the three gunas, not for maya or the chit shakti. This should be understood by the wise. I don't know if I fall in that category of understanding. Basically, everything in context. And he's just saying that these words are used in the scriptures to refer to different, to refer to different things in relationship to the different energies of the Lord. So when you hear them, you need to know, you need to see what's the context. And don't, we shouldn't become fixed when we hear Maya that Maya only means, uh, the extra, extrinsic energy. Or more specifically, Maya means only the, uh, Nimita, the, the causal aspect, which is what we generally think of Maya. But here he's saying Maya's, well, Maya, the word Maya, the word Maya, which is used primarily for the intrinsic potency, 
Yeah. We. When, when that? Well, he must be referring to the use of yoga maya. That the yoga maya of the Lord, the maya of the Lord, enacts, you know, sets up the, the characteristics. Generally, in, in our sangha, here again, time, place, and circumstance. Who's the audience that Jiva Goswami is, is writing for? So, we would say that within our sangha, the word maya is primarily used for the nimitta aspect of the Lord's Bahiranga Shakti, his, his external energy. Generally, when we say maya, we don't mean earth, water, fire, and air. We generally mean maya, that, that aspect, no matter what we may look at as maya, whether it be knowledge and ignorance, whether it be karma, whether it be those five aspects of karma, uh, swabhav, time. So Jiva's given us some indi- indication. In our Sangha, when you say Maya, you're generally referring to that. So Jiva's audience may speak a different language. Our Sangha speaks a language. Our Swami, our Swami, <laughs> You know, Guru Maharaj, he he uses these words in pretty specific context. He's he's a he's he presents everything in a very specific manner. Not all gurus are like that. Not all sanghas are like that. Some speak very broadly. My spiritual master Srila Prabhupada spoke pretty broadly. Uh, you know, and you could, unless you really bore down and, and carried on in your studies of scripture, take him, take his statements out of the context of the Sampradaya that would he, he represented and say he wasn't representing the, the Sampradaya by the way he spoke or the way he wrote in his books. But he, I would never say that because I've come to recognize how he's delivered Krishna consciousness according to his time, his place, and his circumstance. That was, you know, 30, 40 years ago, 40 years plus now ago, and, and yeah, that's that was a very broad presentation. So we don't, we're not going to go in here and analyze these and say in this circumstance and here's all these examples. I haven't taken the time to do that. I'd rather just say it's all time, place, and circumstance. And although what he said here may seem to us to be, wow, what? This, you know, it doesn't make sense to me why he's saying that, but we're not in his time, place, and circumstance. We don't know the nature of the literatures which were available in his day. We don't know the nature of the of the audience and their familiarity with the with the scriptures of the time. We don't know his cultural background. Well, we have a pretty good idea of his cultural background based on the company he's kept. But again, all these things play into the presentation of an acharya. He felt the need here in the middle 
right in the middle of this Sandarbha to say, okay, some of this terminology, let me tell you that these words are used in different scriptures in different places in the writings of different Acharyas in different ways. And they can mean all three of the energies of the Lord in some circumstances or just one of the energies of the Lord. We'll move on now. But he felt the need to do that and we're we're now a little familiar with it. Now he proceeds. Now, the universe, which is a product of Maya, will be described. And then he quotes Sri, Sri Kapila Dave from the third canto. <clears throat> Thereafter, from these, Mahat and so on, which were impelled and united by the presence of Paramatma, appeared from these. I'm sorry, I said for these. Therefore, from these, Mahat and so on, which were impelled and united by the presence of Paramatma, appeared an inert egg, from which manifested the Virat Purusha, the cosmic being. The egg, called Vishesha, is surrounded by layers of water, fire, air, ether, ego, and the Mahatattva, each ten times larger than the previous. All these are enveloped by the outermost layer of Pradhan. Within this egg is found the expansion of the various planetary systems, which is a form of Bhagavan Sri Hari himself. He finishes up his writing on this Anacheta. An insentient egg was generated, was generated from Mahat and the other evolute, which were impelled, precipitated by Paramatma. From that egg appeared this cosmic person, the Virat Purusha. Bhagavat here means of the Purusha. The universe is manifested by Paramatma from Purdan. First, he brought forth the various tattvas, beginning with Mahat, and extended down to the earth element. Just recapping here, Pradhan is like that unmanifested substance, and then the evolutes of the material manifestation come from that. So the most elemental manifestation of material materiality, I guess we could say, is Pradhan. First, he brought forth the various tattvas. Now, remember, 24 tattvas constitute the material energy. So you have your five gross elements. Earth, water, fire, air, ether. Then you have your subtle elements, mind, intelligence, false ego. Then you have all the elements taken together, the mahat. So five, five, five is 20 and four more. 24 tattvas that constitute the upadhan aspect of the material nature. But these elements remain disjointed. When Paramatma personally entered them, they were united and took the shape of an inert egg. From this egg appeared the cosmic being, or Virat Purusha. He is also called the gross form of Haranyagarbha, who contains the aggregate of all jivas. The egg-shaped universe is surrounded by earth, water, fire, air, space, mahat, and pradhan, each covering being ten times thicker than the previous one. 
There are many universes. It is understood that each universe is surrounded by the unmixed material elements, beginning with earth. While commenting upon this verse, 2.2.28, in his Kramasandarbha, which is Jiva's commentary on the Srimad Bhagavatam, which is not a commentary on every verse of the Bhagavatam, like Vishwanath or like Srila Prabhupada. It's just on specific verses, and most specifically, it's the verses he used in the other Sandarbhas. So there is some commentary by him on other verses, but primarily his commentary on the Srimad Bhagavatam is a commentary from his other Sandarbhas on those verses of the Bhagavatam. So in the context of Sambandha, Abhideya, and Prayojan, which is what his, which is really his, really what the major contribution of the Sandarbhas is, is this systematic presentation of these three main constituents of spiritual life for the, for the devotee, for the sadhika, that systematic presentation is what the Sandarbhas is. For Sandarbhas dealing with Sambandha Gyan, then Abhideya, the Bhakti Sandarbha, and Prayojan, the Preeti Sandarbha. So, but this is an interesting point here. We haven't heard this before. At least I hadn't. So it's new to me. Maybe it'll be new to you. Sri Jiva writes in his Krama Sandarbha that it is only the covering of earth that surrounds each individual universe. The remaining coverings envelop the complete cluster of universes. So that's an interesting. He has he he he's the only only. Well, I've only heard it mentioned as far as what the coverings are. In a way that it's every universe is one, is covered by all the different elements. What each one ten thick, ten times thicker than the other. He's saying, well, the, the universes, each individual universe is only covered by Earth, and then all the universes are covered by all the other elements, ten times thicker than the others. So that's an interesting. Uh, that's why Prabhupada said it's like a corner of the whole picture. Three quarters is the spiritual realm, and one quarter is the. Okay, if you want to say three quarters and one quarter, but then again, when we look to the Tripad Vibhuti, the defini- definition we, we're becoming familiar with as far as Tripad Vibhuti is what? It's these three qualities of eternity, fearlessness, and all auspiciousness. That's the Tripad, the threefold. The one fall, fold is what? Michiloka, everything here dies. <laughs> so we have one fold of dimensionality here. <laughs> everything comes to an end. And the spiritual realm, everything what? Everything never ends. It's eternal. And because it's eternal, there's no fear there at all. And everything there is auspicious. But yes, we've also heard it presented like that in a simplistic manner. We're trying to measure it. 
and look at the way Scripture sometimes speaks of the universes. They're like what? Mustard seeds. seeds On the head of Seishanaga. Seishanaga is so, so immense, this spiritual manifestation of the Supreme is so immense, he doesn't even notice they're there. So, well, wait, it's one-third of everything that there is, but he doesn't even notice them. So, just something to think about. A lot of that's going going to come up here, inconceivable. Next, Sri Jiva Goswami explains that the universe itself, although sometimes described as the form of Bhagavan, is not Bhagavan. We're learning not to get real hung up on, on the way things are presented here. They're not absolutes. They're, they're meant to give us indications of spiritual knowledge. The more we try to... It's, it's not, like, not like a mundane education. It's, it's, it's revelation. And revelation requires that we, we be much broader and we're able to accept contradictory ideas. Two things can be, both things can be true, but they can contradict each other. All right, so the next Anacheda 57, the universe is material. In this way, the universe is, was described, this is Jiva's writing here, as a form of Bhagavan in these verses, Bhagavato Rupam, Anacheda 56, which would seemingly, seemingly imply as previously established, that the world is to be considered non-material like him. To refute such an argument, which he himself has made, that the, you know it's a manifestation, uh, Sri Sukha says, from the second canto, these two forms of Bhagavan, which I have described to you, are a creation of Maya. So the wise except neither of them as suitable for worship. So this is from this this is taken from the discussion at the beginning of the second canto. Well, it's the tenth canto of second canto. Remember what what's happening in the second canto. Sukadeva's arrived on the scene. Prakshit's there and he's he's about to die and Sukadeva comes up and everybody offers respect to this little it's little, not little, but young, sixteen-year-old man, naked. naked, followed by children and and unkept ladies. You know, he walks onto the scene, and everybody—they're so spiritually in tune. This is five thousand years ago. They can recognize this is a sage. This is a saint. This naked boy. Look at him. Look at the characteristics of his body. His whole demeanor radiated spiritual mastery. Just imagine. And there's old, older, older people there that are sages and rishis and sadhus from all disciplines of, of, of transcendental endeavor are there knowing that this is going to be a pretty amazing event at Parikshit Maharaj who was personally favored by the Lord before he even took birth. I mean, these, this, this is out there in society. They knew this is a pretty special personality. 
imagine a, a community like that. You know, here's here's the here's the king. He's not an old man yet. You know, and he's 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 accepted death. He's he's really in the prime of his leadership of the world. He has it all. He's king, you know, you could say he's king. He is king of the world. I'm king of the world. Not like somebody that wants to be king of the world, but he actually was a king of the world. You know, he was ever everything that some other people would wish that they were. He was, and he was ready to give it all up. So everybody's there, and up walks Sukadev, and he's so, so transcendentally potent, and 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 although immature in years, totally mature in spiritual knowledge. More mature, they perceive him as more mature than everybody else in the audience. Narda was there. Vyasadeva was there. I mean, all, they were all there. And this, this young man walks up and they just immediately recognize his spiritual prowess. And they immediately, you take the seat. You help, you help Parikshit Maharaj. You are the most qualified of all of us to help him. But the majority of the audience, when he arrived, the majority of that audience were yogis. And they were pursuing moksha, liberation. Their discipline was one of yoga according to Vedic standards. So when Sukadeva Goswami began to speak, first, of course, he was greeted and offered a, offered a seat and offered obeisance and offered appropriate worship. And then Maharaj Pariksit placed before him his questions. He says, what should a man do? What's the best thing for somebody to do in life? And especially, what is the best thing to do for a man that's looking death in, in, in the face, like myself at this time? Please, enlighten me. And Sukadeva Goswami begins by giving instructions to the yoga community. He doesn't start instructing Maharaj Parikshit from Maharaj Parikshit's elevated transcendental position as an unalloyed devotee, unalloyed since birth, protected in the womb, playing and enacting Krishna's pastimes as a little child. He didn't... He, he, he certainly was not unaware of that, but there was an audience there, and he began his discourse by playing to the audience. He needed to capture their minds so that he could bring them into the up to and into the discourse so that they could appreciate the deeper level of Prem Bhakti that he was going to convey to Maharaj Parikshit. 
So first he had to get them on board. So he begins by giving instructions to that community of yogis. And those instructions begin with the neophyte yogis. And what do the neophyte yogis meditate on? The Virat Purusha. And both in and what? The the Hiranyagarbha. Um was Sugarev Goswami he had attained Prem by that time? No, he attained his Prem in discourse. That was his perfection. So as he spoke, he fell in love more and more with Krishna. So maybe he also started where he was at. And then as it progressed, he developed more and then became Prem. No, he'd already attained the perfection of yoga. He was already a Jivan Mukta. He was already Jivan Mukta. But he had had taste. He had acquired a taste yeah. for the for pure devotion, and he matured that taste in deliverance of the discourse. That was his sadhana that perfected his <clears throat> praying. So we're talking about here that kind of a presentation. These two forms of Bhagavan, the two forms that Sukadev Goswami began his discourse with Maharaj Parikshit presenting. And basically, what's the, what's the conclusion here? This is from Sukha. Sukha is relating what's happened in the conversation. He says, but these two forms of Bhagavan, which I've described to you, which, which is the place where Sukadev Goswami is beginning his discourse, are a creation of Maya. So the wise accept neither of them as suitable for worship. So he's recounting what's going on and he's saying, although Sukadev presented this, understand these are not suitable for those that are pursuing pure bhakti. The pronoun, now this is, uh, Jiva Goswami is continuing here. The pronoun Amuni means these two. That is, what I have described to you as the individual and collective bodies called gross and subtle, synonymous with Virat and Hiranyagarbha, which constitute the universe and are superimposed onto Bhagavan, for the sake of worship. The wise do not accept these two. That is, they do not worship them as the reality. And what then do the wise consider them? Only an external Loki of Bhagavan's presence. That is stated in Vishnu Purana. And then Jiva quotes from Vishnu Purana. All this that is seen is your coagulated form. You who are conscious by nature due to mistaken understanding, the non-yogis see you in the form of the universe. I know. 
<clears throat> this verse should be understood as follows. They consider this coagulated universe to be your form due to mistaken understanding. There is also a shruti to this effect. That which people worship is not Bhagavan. Sri Ramanujacharya comments on this. Sri Ramanujacharya's comment on this is the universe that living beings worship is not Brahman. So all the uh, pantheism that we see in the world, we should understand it as this is a secondary, uh, a beginning place for for spiritualists to to worship the Varat Rupa or to worship God in nature. It's okay, but it's it's not God. It's an imposition used for worship. It's it's a it's a beginning point. It's for the neophyte transcendentalist. Yes. Therefore the wise accept neither of them. The reason for this is that the is that these are the creations of Maya and not manifested by the Swarup Shakti of Bhagavan. By this it is also made clear clear that Bhagavan's direct forms, characterized as having forearms and so on, are transcendental to Maya. Here it should be understood that when the universe, which is made of Maya, is said to be a form of the Purusha, the meaning is that its parts, which are made of Sattva, Rajas, and Tamas, are the forms of Vishnu, Brahma, Brahma and Shiva, respectively, the Guna avatars of the Purusha, Mahavishnu. With this consideration, it is said in the Markandeya <coughs> Purana, who is able to glorify you, Durga, sufficiently, for you made Vishnu, Shiva, and me, Brahma, take bodies. It'll be explained. Don't. <laughs> if the words body here meant the individual bodies of Vishnu, Brahma, and Shiva, then prior to their acceptance of these forms, it would not be possible to differentiate them as Vishnu and so on. Consequently, it would then have been impossible to give them such designations. In the commentary, it's made clear that what the verse actually means, it doesn't mean that Durga had the power to give Vishnu, Brahma, and Shiva bodies. What it means is they were invested with sattva, rajas, and tamas by the external potency. Well, you can't really say that they were. it was an imposition upon them because they're certainly conscious beings, but their respective duties in relationship to the material energy are there, and that's what the verse is actually talking about. That Brahma took the ro the mode of uh, passion, and Vishnu took the role of ma maintaining goodness, and Shiva maintaining ignorance. So, Shujiva refutes any possibility of identifying the universe with Krishna's form. 
by citing the verse that's used as the primary sloka from the from the Bhagavatam here, which is what Sudha Goswami said in regards to what Sukadev had introduced at the beginning of the Bhagavatam in the discourse with Maharaj Pariksit. I'll read this one paragraph and then I want to read a little bit that Vishwanath says in regards to uh, these forms of the, well, these supposed forms of the Lord and the, and the evolution of the universe, which kind of puts it all in context. In the previous two verses, Sri Sukha refers to the gross and subtle phenomenal forms of Bhagavan, namely Virat and Haranyagarbha. They were described for the benefit of neophyte spiritualists to provide them with a basis for worshiping corresponding for worship corresponding to their phenomenal view of existence. In other words, they neophyte transcendentalists, they don't yet have a concept beyond what they can directly experience. They can experience things of the world and the things in the world they can experience that the things in the world are greater than themselves. So you have sun worshippers, you have moon worshippers, you have, you know, worshippers of, of these different phenomena in existence. And for good reason, without the benefit of those things that they experience, they realize that their life would not would not they wouldn't exist. I wouldn't exist without the sun. I wouldn't exist without the earth. Mother Earth is feeding me. The sun is nourishing me and keeping me warm. The water is... So in this way, there's a sense of, of, of uh, servitude, of, of appreciation. Gratitude, yes. A sense of gratitude to, to, the, to the material manifestation. Now, the the Vedic culture takes that to a, to a much more comprehensive understanding. Well, if you're going to worship the elements, then let's look at them in a little bit more detail. And let's take all of them together as a great form of the Lord. And his eyes are the sun and his, you know. So we see that Sukadeva Goswami, in his be the beginning of his dialogue with Maharaj Pariksit, he introduces all these ideas regarding this universal form of the Lord and how it's, its, its constituents, this Virat Rupa, all these different elements make up the Virat Rupa and from that Virat Rupa, our sense of sight comes, our sense of taste comes, our hearing ability comes because he hears, our feeling because he can feel. So, you know, it's interesting to go back and read the second canto in light of, of this understanding that this is what, you know, Sukadeva Goswami was doing. And you'll see that the verses, one after another after another, highlight one 
after another sense, after another sense, have another appreciation of, of what's in the world around. So, and the, the yogis, they worship. This is the Bharat Rupa. This is the, the beginning. Let me start somewhere. And this is the form of the Lord which they envision. Gross form of the Lord. And then there's the subtle form of the Lord. The subtle form of the Lord is the what is alive in the manifestation. And the gross form of that subtle manifestation is what? And the Haranyagarbha is the conglomerate of all the jivas. So inside the heart of material nature are all the living entities. So it's it's an interesting idea. The intention behind the recommendation to worship such material forms is to channel energy and attention in the service of a tangible divine. Tangible. It's something I can wrap my mind around. Not some, you know, we, we wrap our mind around a little blue boy living in a... In a in a transcendental realm of Braj, it's, it's, it's an advanced spiritual... Co- we don't realize how good we have it to be able to even conceive of this through the association of the sadhu. I mean, it's, it's quite amazing that immediately we're conceiving of the Godhead in his most intimate setting. Most transcendentalists start out you know, in a much different place. And we ourselves may have started out there. We don't know. But at least we can see they're worlds apart, those different types of worship. A tangible divine, thereby diffusing the exploitative mentality and the perchant for violence towards living beings and nature. In the present verse, however, Sri Sukha says that the wise, meaning those that who adhere to the path of pure devotion, do not adopt either of these two phenomenal forms as their ultimate object of worship, Istadev. Rather, they worship only transcendental forms such as Sri Krishna and Sri Rama. So I wanted to read and this is Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur's commentary on a verse from the Bhagavatam from the second canto, 10th chapter, which reads as follows. The verse says, The one Lord desiring to become many rose from his bed after the sleep of universal destruction and created the universe shining brightly in three forms by his energy. The Lord created three forms, Adidaiva, Sense David, Devata, Adiyatma, subtle sense organ, and Adibaltam, gross sense form. So let's go through this commentary. This is what Vishwanath says in relationship to this verse. How did the universal form, Samasti Virat, arise? This verse explains the one entity merging the jivas in himself at the time of destruction was situated as one. After that, at the time of creation, he desired variety. 
he then separated the jivas from himself, from his bed of yoga, having slept at the time of destruction, representing night. The spiritual Purusha then rose up in the morning at the time of creation, having created the elements such as Mahatattva by his energy. He created by these elements the universe with its ten layers, shining brightly with golden color. This is the great creation, the creation of the universal form situated in the shell measuring 500 million yojans, took place by combining the Lord's energy with parts of the elements such as Mahatattva. The Purusha then entered the shell of the universe, filled half of it with water emanating from himself, and placing the universal form within himself, went to sleep on the Garbodak Ocean. After that, he rose from the bed and manifested the totality of the universe, golden in color in three forms. What are the three forms? They are Adi Daivam, Adi Atman, and Adi Bhutam. Then he closes out this commentary with this paragraph. That totality of Samasti, which became the lotus stem arising from the Lord's navel, and this lotus stem will become the gross form of the universal form with 14 planetary systems. It will also become the subtle Hiranyagarbha, the form of Brahma consisting of the totality of jivas. It will also become the four-headed Brahma who carries out creation. Thus Brahma has three forms. Now let us return to the topic at hand. So, footnote, the three forms of Brahma that Vishwanath is talking about is the form we're used to, four-headed Brahma sitting on the lotus, Hiranyagarbha, sometimes when we hear the word Brahma, we should understand the context is all the jivas, the antar, the, the subtle form of the universe. So if we were to look at our body, we have a gross form, but we have within us a particle, a spiritual particle, which is our. <laughs> which is, which is our essence, which is you know, and then there's Paramatma. He's keeping his company there. And the third is the universal form. So Brahma is also sometimes referred to as the universal form, which is the Virat Rupa. So this Anucheta is primarily dealing with giving us an understanding of the material manifestation, a, a beginning of an understanding of how it all comes about. And let's put some nomenclatures in order and let's, let's also understand that these conceptions of the Virat Rupa and the Haranyagarbha are not worshipable in an ultimate sense. They can be a stepping stone, but Jiva speaking to an audience which is well past using, you know, using them as worshipable, 
worshipable forms of the Lord. But we see men worship them. Cultures worship them. Societies of man in the past have worshipped them and worship them up to this day. So there's whole cultures of, of, of worshippers of different gods that embody different material potencies and elements. It gets more interesting as we go along. So next next anocheta huh we'll find what's really interesting is the fact that it's we can appreciate it we can apprehend it we can grasp the idea of it but we can't fit it in the logic of our reasoning so that will kind of be well, the, the subtitle for the next Anucheta is The Transrational Power of Paramatma. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's... <laughs> Are there any questions? We'll stop there. Thank you so much for your association. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.